listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Publishers look gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Whoever you are out there on this spinning ball in space, thank you for lending me your ears. Um, Now today you are in for a treat. I had Anita Jabor and our history goes back quite far. Um, Anita went to school with my brother and, um, and yeah, anyway, life, you know, dovetails weirdly and and now i uh i see anita in the surf all the time and she's such a positive good energy in the water in and out of the water always have very you know great chats with her she's very very deep she's a deep thinker very philosophical and she has had one hell of a journey um look i'm not going to elaborate too much on it i'm just going to say Anita's journey isn't for the faint-hearted. She's really stood in the face of mortality and come out the other side. And not everybody does in the situation that she has been through. Um, you know, uh, it's it's quite a tribute and um, a, a tes- testimonial to... Well, what the fuck is that word? Uh, a testament to her and her inner strength um to to come through such an ordeal and and be living such a full life today so i hope you enjoy my chat with anita because i really enjoyed chatting to her so anyway um yeah i'll let you go on that journey and anita thank you so much for coming over and being so vulnerable and open and honest um and and candidly talking through such a tough time you know i I really i thank you a lot um what else? Quick shout out to Mortadelli, Mortadello, Mortadello, Mortadelli, Mortadello. The new, it's a new sandwich shop in Torquay. Uh, and you're like, why, why are you saying this about a sandwich shop? And I normally never would, you know, like their, their sandwiches are very expensive, in my opinion. And, um, but the other day I was like, oh, I'm going to treat myself. You know, I'm going to go, go to Mortadelli, Mortadello. Oh, fuck. I should know what it's called, but you'll know. It's, check it out. Um, and, um i bought a sandwich and it was delicious but i'm not kidding you so it's a, it's a 16 or 17 dollar sandwich right it's fucking expensive but here's the but it could have fed two people it was two sandwiches it was huge it literally so it's eight bucks sandwich if you're going to split it i mean it's pretty good value but this is just a shout out to them because the sandwich their sandwiches are top notch great quality fresh as you fill in the blank and um so that was just a a great experience because i always you know i'm always a little bit uh sensitive with parting with the cash on the uh when you feel like you're being be paying too much for a lunch you know it's like ah what what but the do it it's worth it um so there's a shout out to mortadello (laughs) and i think i got it right and this is my other this is another little voice of concern just before i throw you into the conversation and look, if you're not from Torquay, and you're probably not, uh, this is going to make no sense to you. But usually in Torquay, when you're driving through Torquay, I'm going, you know, east, west, whatever, north, south, Rip Curl stands out, right? Rip Curl's huge. And usually they have a gigantic windsock on the top of their building. And it's just something that I always look at. It's always like, what's the wind doing? 
What is the wind doing? That's the question always. What's the wind doing? And the windsock is not there. Now, I find this a little bit sad, disturbing. This is, is this a reflection of the town today? Or is this a reflection of Rip Curl and where they're at since they're not locally owned anymore? And I don't know who owns it and why haven't they replaced the windsock? Am I reading into it too much? <laughs> this is a huge possibility. But I find it, you know, where the Rip, the Rip Curl Pro is about to happen. There's no fucking windsock on top of the whip. And, and uh, I could read into why that windsock's not there. I don't know why it's not there. I'm sure there's someone in there working on it. And maybe it's too high and, it, and it's really hard to get to because it, it is high. And it costs a lot of money maybe to put it up there. I don't fucking know. But I wish the windsock would be back. I'm using the strapper one these days, but I can't quite see it from as far away. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a problem, hey? When you look at what's going on globally, what a fucking problem. God. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Anita because I sure enjoyed having her over. Um, without crapping on any more, I'll see you on the other side. You think this is, is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. Everybody, pretty things have gone to hell. Hello. Yeah. She's this older, older lady. Was she from there or she's on holiday? Yeah, no, she's from there. Yeah, okay, She's cool. from there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she she just got out of the water. It was like six foot pumping, like perfect tubes. Yeah. And um, and I just started talking to her and I, was, and I just so desperately wanted to go out, but I just, I knew that I couldn't on the boards that I had. And um, it was from that moment on that I was like, okay, I want to be able to surf that wave. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, I need to change my equipment and I need to start putting myself in like bigger waves. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think I came back from that trip and, um, yeah, it would have been like October, November. And we got a, like a reasonable swell. Mm. Um, and, and I was out at Winky checking it and um, one of I saw one of my friend's dads running along. He's like, just get out there. Just get out there and, and go. I was like, oh, okay. So it was from that moment on that I sort of thought to myself, okay, each swell I've got to put myself in those waves. And um, and then I think that Christmas, um, Chris, my partner, um, got me a 6'6 a six, six custom. See. And, um, yeah. And I just sort of went from there. And then, um, on this trip, when we went back to that wave, um, all the way driving over there, yeah. I was like, Oh no, Chris, don't put any pressure on me. I'll just sort of take it at my own pace. Like, don't put any pressure on me. I'll just sort of suss it out. I might not always surf it, you know, I'll just see how I feel anyway. I, there were maybe only two surfs that I didn't surf it for that entire trip. Because you were tired or fearful? Um, no, because it just wasn't working. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I think I, we had an amazing run of surf and I think, yeah, like it, it worked nearly every day except for a couple of days. And, um, and yeah, it was amazing. How good? Put your mind to it? Oh, and... 
Yeah, I think the first time that I was paddling out there, like um, on that trip, um, like it wasn't as wasn't sort of wasn't as big. And um, but then you know, obviously, you know, in that in that sort of two week period, we got um, a couple of decent swells, and there were some bigger days. And um, yeah, but it was just it was phenomenal. I had some of the sessions of my life, and. Um, and you know how gnarly those guys are over there? Mm-hmm. Well, they could see that I really respected the regulation that, you know, they have in that lineup. And um, and I was never sort of greedy. I just waited. Um, I wasn't sort of trying to, you know, like hassle people or anything. And, um, yeah, and they were really awesome to me. That's so good. Yeah. What a unreal little... Like, I'm going to go and do some homework, yeah. practice, come back. Yeah. How good. Yeah, really good. And um, and since then, um, I got a bigger board. Um, I got a 6.8 and, um, and went back there again. And, um, yeah, and I was able to surf that. We had some really, like, solid days on that next trip. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And and those guys, because I'd been spending so much time over there, those guys were really starting to get to know me and, and they were really cool. How good. Yeah. I love this story. Yeah. Um, okay. Now going to jump back. What are you studying at the moment? So I'm currently doing a PhD. Um, which at the end you get a DR in front of your name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's in something quite superfluous. Um, it's within literature and philosophy, um, but it is to do with climate change. Okay. So, um, so I'm looking at the way that uh, climate fiction texts explore climate change. Um, climate and, fiction. Yeah, climate fiction. Fiction's fake. Yes. Yes. But these are literary texts, so novels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can sort of think about them as, um, you know, works of art. Mm -hmm. So it would be like doing the same thing with a painting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking at the way these... Could you look at Mad Max in such a context? You could. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you sure could. There's, yeah, there's um, actually one of the... The texts, um, the novel that I wrote my first chapter on, um, yeah, it, it, there's this underlying idea that there's no discrimination between high and low forms of art. So comic books are actually quite prevalent. Oh, comic books are amazing. Within, are, within, right, uh, you know, yeah. within this particular novel. Um, yeah. It's sort of based around a comic book. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So um, through this is giving you a deeper understanding of nonfiction? Uh, yes, absolutely. Because um, I guess all of these, like these texts that I'm exploring, um, in a sense, are reflections of society. So, um, you know, so society's anxieties and concerns to do with climate change or anthropogenic ruin. Um, so a lot of the interesting things that have come up within the research are to do with memory and nostalgia, how, you know, when we, um, I guess 
lose the past or the present isn't sort of going to transpire in the way that we hoped it would. Um, People start to get nostalgic and, of course, often nostalgia is filled with vague recollections of the past. Um, So there's a lot of interesting... um, So do you into past life? Not so much past life, just... um, yeah, no, not that. I just mean our past of yeah. what what we've experienced. So I guess if you think about the pandemic, um, so in 2020 with that first lockdown and it's, you know, there's this underlying feeling or um, anxiety, are we going to be able to return to what we once knew? And in a sense, that's what a lot of these novels look at. And do you think we'll be able to? <laughs> yeah, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, because we have a compulsion to repeat the past. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, hey, well, that's a pretty interesting thing that you're studying. Now, were, were you looking at the Ukraine at the moment? No. No. Uh, skip. No. <laughs> I, I I have been. I, did, I just can't stop looking and I'm just... Yeah. I read no. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, no, it's just... Um, I love their prime minister or president. I don't know what he is. Prime minister, maybe. Um, just the way he's stayed in Kiev. Mm. And... Yeah, it's you know, amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really just bunkered down and gone, I will die on this ship, you know? Yeah. And could you imagine our leader doing that? No, no. <laughs> you know, I just think it's it's an amazing show of character. And I, I yeah, absolutely. And just, uh, anyway, I've been watching it with one eye in the morning over my first coffee, and then I try and put it away. Yeah. So, is, um, how much longer do you have to have this DR? Uh, I've got about a, a about twelve months. Yeah. Hopefully, I can get it finished within the yeah within the next twelve months. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is. But it's sort of like. What do you do after that? (laughs) I think you know. Oh, what, go surfing for a few months? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Have you, um, now, when did you go back to school? Um, It would have been uh, 2019. I, um, I went part time with my teaching position and and I was doing the PhD part-time and, um, and then I was lucky enough to receive a scholarship, um, during that year. And the university prefers, prefers it if you aren't working or they, you can't work if you're on the scholarship. So, um, I resigned from my teaching position. And so since then I've been just working on the PhD full-time. Awesome. Yeah. How yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I was thinking that in 2020, I was all geared up to, cause it was sort of, you know, like I just got the scholarship and I was, I was thinking to myself, wow, I'm just going to have like all this time to surf and people will be working yeah. and I'll be able to um, time my surfs when it's not so busy, yeah. um, middle of the day, mid morning surfs and um, yeah. And then the pandemic and it was like, oh, wow, okay, everyone's got the year off. <laughs> everyone's serving all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, were you sick of teaching? Uh, no, I wasn't. Um, a few things happened 
when I was teaching that sort of prompted me to to sort of think okay well this is something that I've wanted to do and this is probably a good time to go back and and do it so it would have been in 2018 that I um, sort of got the ball rolling with it I um, I contacted my my honours supervisor and um, met up with her a few times to talk about potential um, project ideas and um, yeah and it all sort of grew from there yeah that's awesome so just following your intuition and heart as you go along yeah now you're you enjoying studying again at the moment I am but there's definitely been some times especially in the last 12 months where I guess the nature of the project it's not always going to be amazing Mm. you know that's just what happens um so there's yeah there's definitely been some challenging times with it um yeah but it's at the end of it um anything worthwhile has its challenges absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. were you academic at school no (laughs) no (laughs) i I don't know if your brothers have mentioned anything yeah no i was like right into you know different sports and things and yeah my mom was definitely not like in the classroom no (laughs) that's funny yeah yeah so um well you know i think neither was cam's or mine but Lockie's was yeah yeah um so i totally relate to that so then when you finished school what was the drive did you go to want to go to uni did you not want to go to what did you want to do no i sort of well i did go to uni and i studied i did a um a bachelor of business and i really only did that because i thought that's probably what mum and dad will want me to do and um and you know dad's been very successful in his work so I thought that okay I'll start off with that but I um I never really totally enjoyed it and I I think I might have done the first year full time and then after that I started to take off the the first semester of each year (laughs) to to go overseas um snowboarding so yeah, I sort of spent... Um, and this is a big part of your life, the snowboarding, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. In my in my early 20s, I, yeah, I did a lot of it. And yeah. did you take it to any sort of competitive level? Oh, a, a little bit. Nothing, no, nothing major. Yeah. Just, um, you know, we would go over to... Um, there are a few different places that I spent time, um, but one of the places, um, Mammoth Lakes, I spent quite a few years over there and we would just do like a little regional competitions around there um but my one of my friends started up um an outerwear company mm-hmm. called anarchy outerwear and so i would do um, little photo shoots and and things with her and yeah and that ended up just that ended up being really fun and um I remember a couple of years we, well, she'd have had a booth at the um the trade show and at that or those years they were um they were running it in vegas and so um i remember this one year that um, my sister and i we'd just got to mammoth and we'd had maybe oh i don't know like um a week or 10 days and it was it had just absolutely dumped and we were just getting 
all these powder days and it was amazing and um and my friend was like all right okay we've got to get organized for vegas and zoe and i were like oh no we (laughs) we don't want to go but of course like we did um because she's one of our best friends and um and we went there and i just said to zoe look let's just make this really fun like we'd both been there before um when we were kids um you know so we we knew what it was about but i said let's just just you know do heaps of different stuff that we wouldn't normally do and um because we're there for a whole week um it's a lot it's a lot of time in vegas yeah Yeah. and uh anyway we just yeah we had a great time it was awesome so what things were you doing oh we went to um uh, a couple of those Cirque du Soleil shows that one called O at the Bellagio um and other thing like just all those silly little things that you do there's all these roller coasters um like in the old part of Vegas there are these roller coasters that are like in the casinos mm. or in the hotels and so yeah we just did that and and we're not like big shoppers like we're not those Zoe and I aren't those girls who like yeah okay let's spend the day shopping yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but we did we we um we went out somewhere and we were shopping and whatever else and we yeah and we had a great time and we loved you know helping Erin with um with the um with the booth and um in those 10 days before she'd had these um she had a photographer come and take photos of us in the outerwear and so um she got those blown up like to be sort of wall size and um yeah it was just a it was just a funny time awesome like, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel like a bit of a rock star with, oh not really because nah, you, when on. you when you're walking around the trade show you're seeing all you're, you're seeing like all these amazing people so yeah. yeah but it was just fun to be a part of it and were you partying then? Um, yeah, there were obviously in that, um, like during that week, there's lots of different parties and things going on. So yeah, we got involved. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and so then this, this chip back to mm, doing three quarters a year of business school. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were taking the first semesters off to go and do this. Yeah. 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 And so did you finish that? Yeah, I did finish it. Um, yep. Got through it. And, um, obviously it took me quite a while. Um, and then I think I had maybe, um, I might've had, it was less than 12 months, like working within, um, that area. Mm. And I was like, no, this is not for me. And, um, and then I think I did a little bit more traveling and, um, and then in the intention of snowboarding. Yeah. 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 All, all to do with snowboarding. And then, um, yeah, there was, there was one trip where, um, Zoe and I met up with mum and dad and, um, when dad was, you know, when we're saying we met up with them, I think we were in California and they were in Colorado. And when we're saying goodbye, dad gave Zoe and I a book each and, oh yeah, no, sorry. I've got to go back a bit. I think it might've been just before that. I thought, all right, okay, I've got to go back and study something that I really enjoy. And, um, and I'd chosen so many, um, of so many of my, of my electives from the business degree 
I'd chosen them from the arts faculty. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll go back and do an arts degree, which is actually what dad had started with. And he'd always sort of said, you should do it. And, um, yeah, so I'd been, um, doing this arts degree and I was sort of coming to a critical time of trying to work out what I was going to major in. Anyway, dad gave me, um, a book, Lonesome Dove. It's a revisionary Western. A revisionary Western. Yeah. 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 And, um, it's about this thick and, um, it's an absolute classic. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Anyway, um, I totally fell in love with it and um, I was like, okay, this is what I want to major in. And so that was the start of that journey um, into literature. Um, And then at the same time I had, um, um, actually, no, it would have been a little bit before that. I'd been um, working at Trigger Brothers Mm-hmm. In on the Sin- No, in St Kilda because yeah. it was sort oh, of yeah, at the time yeah. when I was doing the university. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I was sort of – and they were amazing. Um, Matt Trigger was amazing. He would, you know, let me do these sort of stints overseas, snowboarding, and then I'd come back. And we sort of had the surfers in the store were doing the same thing with surfing at, you know – the opposite time of the year that the snowboarders were doing their thing. So it all worked really well. Um, yeah. Good times. Yeah, it was good. And, um, and so you, you, you were studying, you're doing an arts degree yeah. on literature. Well, that, yeah. After dad had given me that book, that's when I decided, okay, this is what I've got to major in. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, how was that? Did you? Oh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. It totally changed my life. Um, so I, in, in what sense? Well, so I was, um, so I was just sort of chipping away at each subject and, um, and I was lucky enough to one of my tutors for, um, one of the, um, lit subjects was amazing. She was doing her PhD at that time and, um, and she sort of became a bit of a mentor for me and, um, you know, she would edit and draft my work and, um, you know, and she could see that I sort of really wanted to do well. And, and she said to me, Oh, you know, well, first of all, she said, yeah, you should really major in this. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I will. And then, um, and then she's like, you should really think about doing an honors year. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. And so I did and, um, and I just, it was probably the most amazing year of academic growth that I've ever experienced. Um, it was, it was phenomenal and, um, and it, and then opened up this opportunity to do a PhD because I'd, um, received a really great mark for the thesis and for the other, um, parts of what you've got to do within an honors year, um, I was able to, if I wanted to start a PhD straight after. Um, but then I thought, but I didn't get a scholarship. And so I thought, okay, I need to start thinking about making some money. So, um, I decided to just sort of put the PhD on hold and, um, and go and do a master's of teaching to become a teacher. (laughs) From someone who wasn't very, you know, want to be in the classroom at school i know i know you've really gone on to have quite the academic 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sometimes I think it's like karmic payback that I'm, um, that I became a school teacher because I was so disinterested at school. Um, so it's like, okay, well, you're going back there now and you're going to give it a go and you're going to love it. Um, which I, I did. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what. And so you went through, you got your master's in the, you did a teaching. What was that one you said? What was it called? Yeah. So, um, a master's of teaching. Um, and I actually hit a bit of a speed bump. Mm-hmm. Um, during that year. When you're doing the teaching masters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, at that time, I'm not sure if it's still the same at Melbourne Uni, but they condensed that degree into, um, it's like a, like a nearly like a, a year and a half or two years condensed into a year. I'm not sure if they still, still do it like that. So it was a full on year. Like it was really, really busy. Stressful. Because you sort of, yeah. Um, just they're overloading you with work yeah. plus you're trying to balance that with um uh placements um anyway i was loving it and um and there were some great people doing the course as well like you know like people my age that had been off doing other things and thought okay right i've got to get my life together now and do something and um yeah so i met some really great people doing that um, I even sort of got a bit of surfing in, like I went up north um, for a couple of trips um, up to Byron and the Gold Coast. Um, and yeah, and then I was still just trying to surf as much as I could around um, around here. But then in, um, in October of that year, I got really sick. What did that look like? Well, for the first month, it looked like a cold, mm-hmm. but I guess without really any coughing, mm. um, just run down, tired. Um, yeah, I just had no energy. And so two weeks into that, I went and saw a doctor and, and he said, okay, just, you know, take a few days off and have a rest. So I did that and then I still didn't feel great after another two weeks and I remember... Just lethargic and thumbs off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just, I knew something wasn't right because, you know, I normally I could fit so much in my day. Like I'd, you know, either had gone for a surf, a run or something like that and um, and then, you know, I was sort of driving back and forth to Melbourne to, you know, to do this course and um and I just I just didn't have the energy for it so I knew something wasn't right so and then I was there was one day when I was um at Melbourne Uni and one of the tutors I just said to one of the tutors look I just feel horrible and she's like okay well take the rest of the afternoon off go and see someone because these next um this next month or six weeks or however long it was to go are going to be really busy. So I was like, okay, right. So I made, um, an appointment and, um, and I went, um, went and saw someone. And when I, when I was talking to him, um, I was like, yeah, I just told him how I was feeling. And, um, 
And then I was like, oh, yeah, my arm's really sore too. And I lifted up my, rolled up my sleeve of um, my top and there was this massive bruise on my arm. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that's from. I'm okay. Like (laughs) no one's hit me at all. I think it must have just been from surfing. And um, anyway, so he um, ordered some blood tests and um, which I had the next day. And then I think it was the next day after that, that I got a phone call to say, come in and bring someone for support. Oh my God. I know. I know. Anyway, I started crying on the phone as you do. And, um, mum, who is like my go-to with anything medical, she was at work. So, but dad, um, I was able to get in contact with him and he was able to leave what he was doing so he could come with me. Now, Um, I often joke around about this and say that it was like the blind leading the blind because dad and I are the two, um, um, most like unmedically minded, um, well, definitely out of, um, you know, the four of us in my family. And, um, anyway, so we both go in there together and, um, and we're sitting there oh, and cool thing. that's so heavy knowing yeah, that information. Yeah. Whatever yeah. It is, the unknown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The unknown. Um, anyway, um, we were sitting there and yeah, the doctor was, was talking and, um, and it was sort of like I was somewhere else cause I couldn't sort of register exactly what he was saying. And he said, um, acute myeloid leukemia. Now I don't, I didn't know much about cancer at that stage and I definitely didn't know much about leukemia. Anyway, um, he was amazing. He had already had um, a meeting and spoken with the other um, GPs in that practice and they had organized for me that made contact with the Royal Melbourne and they'd organized for me to go go to um the hematology ward um but to do that i had to sort of go through present through emergency and then the hematology ward had a bed waiting for me and um and the hematology ward at that stage was um um overlooked by an amazing doctor um professor jeff sure and um so i was sort of i was under his care Anyway, it was a crazy sort of 24 hours because um, the nature of that um, blood cancer meant that I had to sort of act straight away. So it was, ag- it was aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so um, the GP said, "Okay, just you go home, you, you gather your things, and you go straight to the Royal Melbourne," and that's what we did. And um, Anyway, I... How, how were you when you were gathering your things, were you... Okay, this is... Yeah, it's crazy. Like, in that time, I was... Um, like, I wasn't manic and rushing around or anything. I was like, okay, what do I need? And I just went through things logically. Um, and... Um, anyway... Yeah, by this stage, mum had come home and she'd received the news. And so they were both with me and they both took me in. And that's when something really miraculous happened. 
Like, um, so I was in emergency at the Royal Melbourne and, um, and it was like, I went into this, um, this level of acceptance and, um, and everything that I'd done in my life, um, up until that point, like I was just so grateful for, and, um, I was so grateful that I'd followed my heart. I'd followed my heart with, um, with spending all that time overseas snowboarding. I'd followed my heart with, um, with surfing and followed my heart with, um, what I wanted to do with, with literature and philosophy. And I was just, I was so grateful for all those life experiences, um, and all of the amazing life experiences that mum and dad had provided for, for myself and my sister. Um, they never, whenever they went away, they always took us. So, um, so from a really young age, you know, we'd sort of, we'd done a lot of traveling and, um, and I said to them, um, I said, mum and dad, if, if I've only got days, weeks, months or years, whatever it is I've got left, I just want you to know that I've had the most amazing life already and um and and I just well I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy for whatever is left. And um and obviously that was really hard for them to hear. And um but in a way that kind of sort of set up the um the next um 8 months of my treatment because I'd sort of I'd come to this, this state of acceptance with everything. And, um, and I just wanted to sort of do it in a loving way. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've gone in, you had your bed in the hematology ward. Yeah. Yeah. And so the next eight months, what sort of treatments were they? So I had, um, so after getting up to the haematology ward, I, um, I had to go through all these crazy things. Like, first of all, they had to, and, and they were all in a particular order. So I, first of all, I had to have a bone marrow biopsy to work out exactly what strain of AML it was, um, which would then govern the type of chemotherapy treatment that I would receive. And then... I had to have um, a gateway test on my heart to make sure my heart was strong enough for them to then put a Hickman line into my heart because that Hickman line, obviously with um, with the chemotherapy that I'd be receiving, it would just demolish my immune system. So, and they need to be able to give me blood. They need to take blood every day as well as take blood samples. So Every day. Yeah, so you can't have they're not going to do that, you know, into your arms. So the Hickman line is, um, is put into your heart. Um, and there it stayed for, for that whole time that I was in the Royal Melbourne. So, um, um, but first of all, I had to check that my heart was strong enough, which it was. And then I had to have the procedure of them putting the Hickman line in. And it's sort of like these two tubes that just sort of stick out of your chest for the, for the whole time. And, um, and those tubes can, um, they can, they can take blood from them and then they can put 
things back in. So obviously that's where the chemotherapy went in. It was where I had a lot of blood transfusions. So blood would go in, I had platelet transfusions. So the platelets would go in, I had a lot of antibiotics. So that's where they would go in. So it was really important that, you know, that I had, that I was able to have that. So yeah. Is the Hickman line named after someone that invented yes, it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an odd name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that all happened really quickly, like within the first, like probably 12 hours that I was there. And then I think, um, I think it was like maybe, um, two days later, um, I started chemotherapy. Did it knock you about? Yeah. So, well, the first one was like, um, I think it was seven days straight. Seven days straight. Yep. Seven Just... days straight of, of, and 24, like 24 hours a day. What did that feel like pulsing through your body? Um, Could you feel it? No, I didn't feel it. Um, and the, I, because I was just in this state of acceptance, I was like, yeah, I'm just, just do it. Like, let's, let's get it done. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, but something that they don't tell you (laughs) are all the crazy side effects that you have. So with the first, so I ended up having five rounds of chemo and the first one over the eight, over the eight, eight months. Um, the first one was different. Like that was, um, I think they call that the consolidation round or maybe introductory round. The other ones are the consolidation rounds. And, um, so that one sort of set up a little bit differently. Um, and I did get sick from that one. Um, all of them, I had these crazy side effects and they're all really different with that first one. For some reason, I had to stop eating solids. I could only drink the, and uh, yeah, I could only drink these little, they weren't all juices, but they were obviously they had protein in them somehow. Um, I couldn't have any dairy. You just didn't want it? No, no, I couldn't. Was something was like, I was so unwell. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and I was like, okay, yeah, all right, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Seven days of, um, of no food and just, the, <laughs> just these drinks. I'll do that. And, um, and then I think it was, it would have been about day four, mum and dad, mum and dad and my sister were, were in all the time. Um, anyway, they were in and <laughs> they were eating a sandwich and I was like, oh, that bread, it just looks so good. <laughs> and I think I might've only lasted another day day or so on it and then I was like okay I think I'm feeling better now I think I need to start eating something um yeah so and then my um my blood counts like my neutrophils um which is to do with um, my immune system bounced back really quickly after that first round so I was able to then go home for maybe a week and just yeah have some home time and um Um, so they tried to do that after each round and the amount of time that you could be home for obviously sort of changes a bit. I think that first time was maybe a week and, um, and then I would go back in for the next round and then they would do a bone marrow biopsy to check. So I was having bone marrow biopsies nearly after every round. Is that a a painful procedure? Yes. Yep. Yep. Sure is they have to scrape away bone from 
um, your lower back. So they go in. They go in. Yep. And there's no, there's no general anesthetic for that one. What? No. <laughs> there's a local, but yeah, no general. Yeah. Yeah. And um, do they keyhole it? Do they stitch you up? Like what? Is- yeah, it's tiny. It's a tiny incision. Yeah. Yeah. It can't. It's. It, yeah. There's there's such a risk um, when you're neutropenic, which is what I was throughout my um, treatment. Um, there's a risk, there's a a huge risk of infection and that can be external. So any cuts or grazes or anything like that, but also internal. So, um, in that particular ward, the hematology ward, no flowers. Mm. I wasn't allowed to, you know, how much I love dogs, Mm. Teague. I wasn't allowed to, for my whole treatment, I wasn't really allowed to touch animals oh my god i know yeah. it was that was even when you're home for that week, yeah, yeah yeah really hard and um um yeah so they have to obviously with those bone marrow biopsies you know they can't go in too deep because like you know um so it is just a it's it is really small oh well they've got to go in deep but the incision's just really small um yeah so after that first round and um, and my little time at home, I, I came back for my second round and they did a bone marrow biopsy and and that was the one where they told me that um, that I'd gone into remission. So I went into remission after my first round. And sorry, I'm just going to say that means it's shrinking, it's going away. Yes, yeah, it's winning. The, yeah, the work's we're, winning. yeah, 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 yeah. The treatment's working. The treatment's working. <laughs> <laughs> the war's been. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I was thinking, cause my neutrophils came up so quickly with, um, with the first round, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get this done really quickly. Like this is, this is going to be over by, um, you know, I don't know, like February or like, I don't know what, what date I had in mind. Um, cause I then started to calculate how many, you know, um, how long the chemo um, sessions would go for or little stints would go for and then you know how much time I'd have in the hospital waiting for the neutrophils to come up and then how much time I could have at home um, anyway the second round so the even though that first round the chemo's in going in 24-7 um, the net the the subsequent rounds are actually the more potent ones. I didn't know oh, right. that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't yeah. know that. And um, and they they would sort of go like, um, you know, you'd have a couple of hours in the morning, then a couple of hours in the evening, day off, repeat, couple of hours in the morning, couple of hours in the evening, day off, um, and then and, and then on the third day the same, and it was, I think it was just I think it was yeah just those three days of it, with the two days off in between, and um, anyway, after that second round, it took so long for my neutrophils to come up, and that's when I did start to get worried, and um, and I ended up getting really really unwell, like I um, with that second round I had well I ended up getting an abscess on my tooth so I had an infection in my mouth Mm. and then worst pain and then I had another um 
another skin infection. Yeah, I was in serious amounts of pain. And of course, um, they can't sort of cut or do anything. So I was just, I was on antibiotic. Like I was, I think I was on two or three different types of antibiotics and, um, yeah, it was, yeah, that was probably one of the hardest. And from the next, you had how many, three more? Yep. I had three. Yeah. I had three more. Um, that one was probably the hardest, I guess maybe it was those two infections both at the same time, um, that, um, I guess would, was delaying my neutrophils from coming up. Um, and anyway, I, um, when I finally did make it home, I remember being at home and, um, and I was, um, I was eating something and I was just, I, I was in so much agony that, um, that mum was like, okay, right. I've got to take you to the dentist. Well, we've got to take you to the dentist. Um, and so dad drove, it was anyway, so she called her dentist, um, in Melbourne and they were amazing. And they sort of just sort of squeezed me in, um, because every time I was having some time off, I was coming back down here. And, um, anyway, I remember getting up really early one day for this appointment and, um, dad driving me from Torquay, um, back into the city. And, um, I think he did it in under an hour. Oh, he's hammering. hammering. And, um, and of course, um, you know, all of the doctors and nurses were worried because, you know, we spoke to them about going and they were really worried about what was going to happen, what the dentist would do. Um, but he was amazing and, um, and he got it sorted out and it was sort of instant relief. So good. Yeah. So tooth pain, anything in the mouth is, I mean, on top of what you're already going through, but like mouth pain, I mean, you're in good stead is fucked. Okay. So (laughs) Tegi, they gave me some really heavy painkillers and not even those painkillers were helping with the pain. They gave me this thing called, um, cocaine mouthwash. (laughs) Where where do you get it? You get it from the Royal Melbourne. (laughs) Um, anyway, that didn't, that, that, that did nothing. Cocaine mouthwash. mouthwash. Is it a nickname? No, it is. Yeah, I think it is derivative. Yeah. 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 Learn something new every day. Yeah. 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 And it was, um, yeah, like you had to sort of, you know, you like flush it through your mouth or whatever. And that on top of all of the other things that they were, you know, they'd given me still, it was just incredibly painful. Yeah. And, um, and, but I think it was the combination of that infection in my mouth and then also the skin infection that I had. So anyway, after getting my tooth sorted, um, I was feeling a lot better and, but obviously I had to go back in for, um, three more rounds (laughs) and, um, yeah. And each of the rounds, there were, there were things that came up that, you know, um, that I had to deal with, um, physically, but I guess probably one of the hardest, um, things to deal with. And it wasn't, I'd suppressed so much of it 
during this time that it wasn't really until you mean emotionally yeah yeah, yeah. um maybe um oh like six months after finishing all the treatment that it started things started to come up so um i very rarely had a private room okay there was only um a couple of times that i had a private room most of the time i'm i'm in a room with two or three other people who were going through the same thing yes yeah. well, some sort of blood cancer yeah. yeah and obviously all different ages yeah um there was really only one other young person in there. Um, she was a bit younger than me. Um, and I learnt from early on that you can't get attached to mm. the people that you're sharing a room with. And, um, and that was really hard. Um, that is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that was obviously I've I'm being confronted with my own mortality yeah um but it's nearly just as hard being confronted with other people's completely yeah and um yeah in the first room that I was in um I think in nearly each room I was in someone passed away so um, that must have been really confronting. Yes, absolutely. When you're when you're going through what you're going through. Now they're so amazing. Um, like all the nursing staff at the Royal Melbourne, um, that when things like that happen, you know, they they subtle like they do. Oh, we're just going to switch you into this room. At the moment, you know, someone new's coming, you know, they just sort of rotate people around and, um, yeah, so sort of could be. Did you have an understanding though that that was. Not, not initially. Okay. Of course, I'm just like, I was just so. You were on your own. Um, I was just, being, I was, yeah. yeah, I was just so blase about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're taking me to that. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll change rooms. Yeah. No, that's, that's fine. And, um, yeah, but with that first um, person passing, that's because I'd sort of become attached to him, and um, and that's when I was like, all right, okay, I have to sort of have some boundaries and barriers up around me. I'm, that that was really hard, um, and yeah, so there was that to deal with. There's also like little other little things, you know, like, um, I remember in, it would have been either my second or third round where, um, you know, when you're in the Royal Melbourne for, for that amount of time, there's always a code, something being called like a, whatever color it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget what they all signify, but, um, but I remember being in one room where a code, um, it was whatever the, whatever the color is for respiratory problems was called. And the person next to me was, was going through something and wasn't well. So that was sort of one time where I was really, you know, in the thick of it, sort of face to face with it. And that was in the middle of the night. Um, yeah. So all of that was possibly 
even harder to deal with than the physical. Yeah, the psychological and emotional. Well, you've been in a, in a war of your, you know, you're not alone there. Other people are at war. You're at war. It's an invisible enemy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's going to have a toll. Yeah. So yeah. that's what you're saying. So the six months after these things started to Yeah, because I'd really, obviously, to sort of um, keep myself strong and, and balanced to be able to get through, I'd suppressed all of that. Mm. Which may, you know, obviously that's a coping mechanism of the body and, um, and it allowed me to get through. Um, mm. And as it got closer to the time where I was, you know, because they just, ideally they want to hit you with as many rounds of chemo as possible, you know, until your body sort of just can't take it anymore. And it was after that fifth round where they sort of said, okay, that's going to be enough for you. Um, but I remember... Um, it might have been after that last round. Um, by the way, the hematology ward is really small. Okay, so there's not a lot of walking around. Um, you know, I don't even know how many meters it would be from like what the length like would be, but it, it it's it's not long. Um, and of course, just walking up and down, things gets boring, but there was an exercise bike there. So, so I would ride this exercise bike just to sort of, just to do something physical, just to break up the day. Um, and, uh, mum's got this really funny photo of me, um, hooked up to like I was having a blood transfusion and riding the bike at the same time <laughs> oh they thought I was crazy but um do you think it probably it's good to move oh yeah, absolutely yeah no it was really good anyway it's getting close to the time of me hopefully you know getting out and um and I'd had a blood transfusion um, and anyway, um, my sister had sort of just been in to see me and and I called her like maybe an hour after she'd left and I was like, Zoe, you would never believe what is happening to me. So this was the only side effect that I ever had from blood transfusions. Um, but a rash started at my ankles and it slowly crept up my legs, like up my body. And this is over sort of several hours. So you're watching it. Do I'm this. watching it yeah. do this. And, um, and I'm thinking, oh, please don't go over my face. Oh my because at that stage, you've got to imagine like no hair. Well, the hair that I did have was just this tiny little kind of baby fluff hair. Um, my face, I'm already like gray and gaunt I'm de I'm not looking good and um and but I knew that I was probably possibly you know going to be getting out in a, in a few weeks and I was thinking to myself I just want to be able to wear shorts and this rash starts and it's creeping up my legs it's creeping up my torso um like up around my shoulders I don't it didn't really sort of go down my arms at all and then it gets to the top of my neck and it just sort of stops. And, um, and I just, um, anyway, Zoe came back in and saw me the next day and, um, 
and itchy? all and all we could do, yeah, yeah, oh, it was a bit God. itchy. And all we could do was just laugh, because what else can you do? Yeah. And I just said to her, I was just, I just want to be able to wear some shorts when I get out of here. And um, and it was like, just okay. Face is grey, no hair, and now I've got this rash all over me, and um, and yeah, all we could do was just laugh. And then interestingly, like over, um, I think maybe the next would have been like three or four days, it just disappeared the same way. It just slowly, yeah, in reverse, just slowly crept down, and yeah. So, um, yeah. And did you get to wear shorts? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, because by that stage it had all gone. But um, but there is absolutely no way that I could have got through that whole journey without the support of my parents and my sister. Like, um, the food isn't great. Mm. Um, and... Um, but there was a little kitchen there um, in the ward and um, and mum and dad in the end um, because initially they would sort of come in and stay with me for a few hours and then go home and have dinner and by that stage it was really late for them mm. and they'd be really tired. So after a while mum was like, oh, let's just take the dinner in and we'll all have it together. And so they were bringing me like, salmon <laughs> salmon and steak and salad and um um uh, uh, mum was buying me pina de casa bread so good oh i was yeah, yeah. It, it, it was really good so that yeah all of those little things um just helped me so much and so after that final and you got to go home obviously you know you, you, do they give you like you're good uh, you know is it touch and go like what does that look yeah like? so what what that looks like is that um it's not like all of a sudden okay you're right to go it's um like there's a build-up and there's preparation because um like um i was on so many different um medications and i can't even remember what they all did mm. but they were all to do with um my immune system and bleeding and all that sort of thing um and also um things for nausea and 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 all of that so I was, um, and I think I had to still, still sort of take a lot of that stuff for the next, um, like month or so. So, you know, I had to, um, like I was in contact with the hospital, like, um, you know, for the next like little while after. And then every, um, and I think I had to go back in for another bone marrow biopsy, um, and then after that, it was sort of every six months I would have a checkup with um, the haematologist. And um, and now still, like I have, um, I have an annual checkup, mm-hmm. and um, and he's asked me if I want to stretch it out to to two years or a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But I always say no, no, I'm happy with <laughs> I'm happy with a year. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it sort of ends up being a little bit longer. But, um, yeah, so, I, and that's, I guess that's my, my remaining contact 
is um, just having those checkups. And I mean, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Do you, does obviously your life has changed considerably for for living through such an experience? Yeah. And you know the, the cliches of people going, you wake up with uh, you know a new embrace for every day. Has it been the case? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's changed my outlook on life. I sort of I don't rush around like I used to. Um, I have so much more compassion and empathy for for other people and um, yeah, the things that they experience and go through. Um, yeah. And and do you think that like having to have faced your own mortality like that? has given you a better grounding for, you know, unfortunately we all die. Yeah. And no one wants to. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. But, you know, but that's that point there's an acceptance. I think about death a lot. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah. I don't know what, how I will deal with it if the, 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 that comes along, but weirdly I do think about it a lot and try and live accordingly to the day, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't say that, okay, embracing life and, and just being so grateful for, for every day, that happened sort of straight away, like, yeah. you know, that. Um, but really understanding death and mortal and my mortality, that actually came a little bit later. Um, so I had to – so after the, um, the physical treatment, um, six months – after so when i was so it was around easter would have been around um bells um the time that i was able to come out um and then i think um um just in the those next like i might have had a month here of like just trying to get myself back into a, a normal state and then I spent about um, two months um, up in Queensland um, with um, my mum's sister and her family um, just to have some warm weather. Mm. And, um, and so I was, I was, I was back surfing by then. I, I can't remember exactly um, how long it was. Cause I had to obviously wait for the, I had to get the Hickman line out um, and then wait for that to heal before I could be in the water um, but I think I might've, I remember just, I do remember the surf and it was like just a mal session and I was just sort of paddling around. I wasn't really like, I was still so, so weak and I was just, um, yeah, there was just like, um, like I'd get sort of puffed out really quickly. Um, but then I just, you know, like took it slowly and within a month I was just sort of having little surfs and then, um, yeah. And then I went up North and had, um, a couple of months up there where I was, um, I just surfed D bar heaps and, um, and I was going for little jogs and runs along the beach and, um, just starting to feel good mm, with some sunshine, you with some sunshine <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, but it was sort of like maybe, um, a couple of months after that where where the severity of the whole journey really hit me mm. and that's when things started to sort of unravel 
And that's when I really had to start dealing with what I'd just been through. And that was probably just as hard or nearly harder than the, than the physical treatment. And would you say it was a PTSD of some sort? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 So did you, was that with a therapist with a, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I saw, so the hospital organized, um, Did they know that me. this was coming? Yes. There was a social worker there. And of course she sort of gets you kind of prepped and set up for, for these things. And in the, and my sister, who's an OT, she's, she's really clued into, to all of this. So she said to me, she's like, you might not be feeling it now, but you're going to have to talk to someone about what you've been through. An OT? Occupational therapist. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, so that time came when when things started to unravel. And, um, um, and I think I saw a few different people and, um, and then... Um, found someone who I really connected with and, um, and yeah, he, he's been amazing. He's, he really helps me. Um, and one of the things that I guess really started to, really started me on the journey of being able to, um, I guess, understand and accept death. Um, so about six months after coming out of hospital, Zoe said to me, look, we should go and do a little bit of yoga. It'll be really good for you. And, um, and I'd never really, I'd never really done any before. So, um, we went off to surf coast yoga, um, with Roz and, um, and we did the, um, the beginners sort of eight week or 10 week course. And, um, and I remember I was loving the physical opening and all the different asanas and I was just um, really enjoying that, you know, just opening and moving my body in these new ways. But then when it came time to rest in Shavasana, so that's where you're lying at the end of the class, I couldn't do it. It was so hard. I I couldn't still my mind. It was, I remember being really panicked a couple of times where I was just like, I just wanted to get up and, and, and run out of there. Um, but through quite a few years of yoga practice, I started to be able to still my mind. And, um, and now I probably do more uh, meditation um, and other practices like Qigong, um, yeah, than yoga. And and, and sitting in meditation, you know, for, um, periods of time in the morning. Well, I do it every morning now. Um, but going from not being able to even lay still, you know, to, to what I'm doing now is, yeah, is, is incredible. And that's probably the most amazing therapy that I've had. The meditation. Yeah. Do you yeah. do it just on breath or do you do the one with the mantra? Um, well, I've mix them up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, mix them up and and um, yeah, and done sort of lots of other guided and yep, guided and um, and definitely like with a shigong practice, um, which is sort of similar to to tai chi and um, um, and yoga, um, but 
a bit different. <laughs> um, yeah, all of those things have sort of yeah, been able to sort of help me get into that space. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it an amazing... Um, I'm, I'm, I've done a lot of meditation and you, it's so sometimes if you've got something going on and you try and sit still and you close your eyes and do it and it becomes acutely aware how fast the motor's running when yes. you just want to get up and yeah. run out the door for no apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, but just sort of, yeah, moving your awareness, like, you know, into, into the heart, into that, um, place of gratitude yeah, can have phenomenal meditation sessions, like just where you can love everyone and everything in the world and yeah. And, um, and just be so grateful for everything. Well, yeah. you look really healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I had five hours in the water the other day. I think my face is a bit burnt. (laughs) No, it's going. (laughs) In a good way. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Yeah. And so are you really conscious on your... No, that's... that's, Thanks for sharing. Like that's uh, an uncanny journey in the face of adversity. And, you know, to be able to laugh about it now is such a victory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... um, Oh, it's amazing, Tegi. Like it's it's taken me, you know, quite a few years to be able to get to this point. Like it wasn't, um, yeah, it was, I had to sort of, I had to go through all of that post-traumatic stress to, um, you know, be able to get here. I had to really sort of work and unravel that. And that, you know, that takes, that takes a lot. Um, and yeah, but I'm, I'm in this and I've been in this little, this space for a little while now because it's been, um, it's been 10 years and, um, and, and I know that it sounds crazy, but I don't look at the journey as like this burden, you know, that I had to face that it would, you know, that it, you know, like that I'm a victim, that, why me? I, I, I don't look at it like that. I, um, actually look at it as though, like, it's nearly like a gift that I, um, that I was able to go through that and come out the other end. And, um, because it's just changed my life so much and changed my perspective on on things. And, um, and it's, it's a part of my journey. Mm. Like there was, you know, there's never any sort of what ifs and what if it didn't happen or, or anything like that. It's like, no, that's what happens. And that's, you know, they're the cards you're dealt and and you, and you deal with them. And, and it's, um, it's actually released me from so many sort of lower levels of consciousness, I guess. Like, um, obviously I still get, you know, like, um, annoyed with different things um but I just try to remind myself each day like wow it is we're just so lucky to be here like you know this is so special and um and in in this time that I've had sort of um you know since being unwell like I've just oh I've had some phenomenal experiences like um I've done some amazing trips um I've started this PhD, um, 
I've got an amazing partner um, who was actually like we met. We actually met at um, at Surf Coast Yoga. Oh, cool. <laughs> No. <laughs> Ross loves that. Oh, there he does. <laughs> oh, he wants yeah. he wants to put it on the website that <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you can find love yeah, at Surf yeah. Coast Yoga. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he jokingly will say, um, "Oh, I um, yeah, I wasn't there for the hard stuff. I wasn't there for the hard stuff that Nate had to go through um, with leukemia." But I say, "Well, actually." you were there for the harder stuff because he was the one who really helped me through unraveling all the post-traumatic stress stuff. And, um, he was, he's always been so supportive of, um, of, you know, my yoga practice, meditation practices, Qigong practice. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he, he's been amazing. So, um, and he has taken me on the most amazing adventures. Um, the first, like within the first, um, sort of two months of, of, um, knowing each other, he said, um, let's go to Indo because he just, um, he'd spent about oh, three years or so working over there as a teacher. And, um, and he said, yeah, so you know, we'll do this trip. And of course, mum and dad were, mm. you know, really nervous for me because of my immune system and all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, we had the most amazing adventure. Um, just, yeah, he, obviously he knows, knows Bali really well. And, um, cause that's where he was living. And, um, yeah, he, he, he really showed me a good time, a good time. He just took me to so many different places and, um, yeah. And then since then we've, um, yeah, we've made a life for ourselves here and, um, and yeah, went on an amazing adventure last year for six months, um, over to WA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You so. guys are, uh, it's so good. It's so good to hear. Yeah. And it sounded like you guys had that, like, last year wasn't the easiest year for everybody and you guys killed it. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were really, really lucky. Like, we were, um, in 2020, we were planning, um, a couple of trips and one of them was a trip to, to WA. And, um, and I think it would have been in, um, 2019 that we'd, we'd bought a caravan and we'd got ourselves set up and we obviously we got the caravan for a really great price because there was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was yeah. no, when things were a bit normal. yeah, 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 no coronavirus. And, um, uh, yeah. And anyway, we, um, yeah. So last year we would have been, um, like, you know, early in the year, Chris is like, everything was sort of nearly back to normal by, by that stage. But Chris had sort of said, all right, this is, we need to sort of start getting organized and we'll, we'll try to leave, um, early May. But, um, we'd had a really nice little run of swell, like, um, in March, April that I wasn't in a rush to, to get going. Um, anyway, I was dragging my feet a bit and, um, he's like, come on, we've got to go. And, um, because we, we rented out our place. So we sort of had to get things, um, organized for that. And then obviously pack up all of our own stuff. 
and yeah anyway we um we made it into WA by about six days and um and we were only supposed to go for three months because then we were going to come back and house sit mum and dad's place um and look after their dog and then they were going to go to WA Mm. um but obviously they couldn't Mm -hmm. and so they just said to us just stay just stay where you are there's nothing happening here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was in August and, yeah, they just said that, yeah, it was cold and everything oh, was locked totally. down and, like, yeah. Like, don't come back to yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I want to say thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on, Tegi. No, you kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks from the bottom of my heart for being so open and honest and taking me through that difficult part of your life you know and i'm so happy to see you looking so healthy oh. and in the water always yeah. with a huge grin and feeding. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you that's no, awesome thank you well there you have it there you have it there was my chat with none other than anita jabor um anita thank you so much for coming over i really appreciate it and i really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable um for everybody else out there listening um you know no doubt um after hearing that story you're not gonna worry about little things like wind socks on top of buildings and why or why they're not there or are there you know there are greater things to be worried about in the world today and in your own life um And that is getting on and enjoying it and not, you know, I mean, look at a tree, look at the trees and the wind will tell you what it's doing there. Go and stand out in it. You don't need the rip curl wind sock to tell you what the fucking wind is doing. There's enough apps on your phone. Uh, Anyway, look, I'm not going to get stuck on that. Thank you so much for listening. Anita, thank you so much for coming over. I hope you enjoyed our chat wherever you are in the wide world. Until next time, adios. Adios.